If you have your Bibles, join me in Luke chapter 1. It is my intention to be an encouragement to you from Scripture this morning, to try to help you and equip you for what God has in store in 2022. I don't know if you are in the habit of making New Year's resolutions. Perhaps you are. If you are in the habit of making New Year's resolutions, that probably means that you made some last year, and as you sit here now, you may be remaking some of the resolutions you made from last year because you fell flat on your face. If you're really brutally honest, it's already January 2nd, which means you've probably already faltered on some of the resolutions you made yesterday. What do you do when you fail? How do you bounce back from what I believe is the great ailment of believers when we spiritually fail? It's not because life is too hard. It's not because God is too small. It is because we lack faith. How do we bounce back from a lack of faith? We're going to enter into a story here in Luke chapter 1. It is an amazing point in history. Because it is going to bring to conclusion 400 years of silence. Historically speaking, contextually speaking, for 400 years, God has not spoken through a prophet. For 400 years, there's not been a psalm inspired by God and written for them to sing. Silent. From the book of Malachi until the launch of the New Testament, God has not spoken. And here in a moment, we're going to dive into Luke chapter 1, and we are going to read the account of the ending of the 400 silent years. God is going to speak again, and as is customary with God, it is going to be in one of the most amazing ways, and it is going to be in something that we would not expect to happen. And I want to begin reading here in Luke chapter 1 and verse 13. If you don't have your Bible, the verses will be here on the screen so that you can know this is God's word. As soon as we read this phrase in verse 13, the years of silence end. But the angel said unto him, an angel is now speaking. Speaking to Zacharias, who happens to be in the temple, and says, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John." And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is the announcement, prophetically speaking, of the birth of John the Baptist. Coming to Zacharias, his father, who is a priest at this moment in time inside of the temple. The 400 silent years have ended and we are launching the New Testament. God is again communicating with his people and he announces the birth of John the Baptist. Now there's an interesting phrase as we really try to understand scripture. It arrives back in verse 5 of this chapter when we read, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. 
in the days of Herod is something that we have to understand and we have to unpack. What is being communicated to us is that these were dark days. Herod was not a moral or a just or a good man. In fact, history tells us Herod had nine or ten wives and he executed one of them for no apparent reason. I don't know what the argument was. I don't know what she said. I don't know what she wore. But Herod was not a good man. Herod executed three of his own sons, history will tell us, to protect his throne. He was that jealous that he killed off three of his own sons to protect his throne. This was a dark time, historically speaking. Culture itself was dissolving. Religiously, the priests largely were corrupt. The entire system around the temple, as we'll see in the ministry and life of Jesus Christ, was a terrible and debauched system of really robbery under the name and in the guise of doing God's work. In the days of Herod, God broke the silence. I think it is even further reiterated in chapter 2, which we would know as the Christmas story, when we read, and it came to pass in those days that Jesus Christ is born. What I want to say is simply this. It does not matter how dark things are culturally speaking. God is still able to work. Sometimes we imagine that we are in the end game. We are defeatist from even starting the work of God. We are fear mongers. We are hyperbolic. We jump to conclusions. We really wear each other out with our negativity. And what I want to say is, according to Scripture, even in dark days like the days of Herod, God can still work His work. And the fact is, it doesn't have to be bright out for the light to shine. The light shines the brightest in the darkness. And there were people who were still holding on to the fact that God could work and that God would fulfill his promises. In fact, Malachi said in the last prophecy of the Old Testament, in chapter 4 and verse 2, the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. They were holding on through 400 years of silence and a dark and dissolving culture to the fact that God would do what he said he would do. In fact, when Jesus comes around in Luke 2.38, we meet a lady named Anna. And the Bible says this of Anna, that she looked for redemption in Jerusalem. She ministered and she lived her life on the lookout for the redemption that was promised to come. We read of a man named Simeon in chapter 2 and verse 25, who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Joseph of Arimathea, who we know as the wealthy man who helped entomb Jesus Christ. In Mark 15, 43, we read that he also waited for the kingdom of God. Communicating to me that there is always a remnant of believers who are on faith, still waiting for God to do what he said he would do. We don't have to begin from a place of defeat looking for victory. We are victorious, moving from victory to victory. We don't have to wait for the clouds to part and the sun to shine. God can work even in the darkest of times, and even when it seems like he is not, he is still hitting his calendar perfectly. John's parents were that way. Zacharias and Elizabeth, back in verse 5, as I referenced a moment ago, in the days of Herod, we read of Zacharias, who was a priest. And then we get a little bit of family history. He was of the course of Abia, 
and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron. That's Aaron the high priest. That's a pretty good lineage. And her name was Elizabeth. And get this from Luke 1 and verse 6. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Now we just learned a lot about Zacharias and Elizabeth. They're good people. Zacharias and Elizabeth are righteous people. That means they were believers. You can't be a successful Christian if you are not a Christian. They were believers. They were part of the remnant that in faith believed that God would uphold his promises. Not only were they believers, they were living out their lives perfectly before God. In effect, they were sincere and genuine people. They weren't fakes. They weren't surface level. They were desperately trying to honor God. They were walking after God. That's the word that was used in verse 6, which communicates to me that they were good examples. Daily they were walking and their life was regulated by the commands of God. I'm not saying they were perfect people, but I am saying they were believers who were sincere and genuine, not hypocritical, mere surface, and they were trying to live out their daily life in accordance with the word of God. These were good people. And we learned that Zacharias will fail in his faith, even though he's a good person. I want to say this, because I think this is important for us to understand. Good people falter. Good people fall short and good people fail. Sometimes we think we only fail because we are inherently bad people. Good people fail. Zacharias and Elizabeth were believers and he failed in faith. He was sincere and genuine and he will fail in his faith. He was walking his daily life trying to uphold and honor God by living out his commandments and he will fail in faith. I want to say this to you as you and I begin a brand new year. Be nicer to yourself than you are. Be nicer to yourself than you are because God is gracious and he is merciful and he extended unto us the gift of Jesus when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. You could not be more repulsive. You could not be more unlovely and yet he loved us anyways. I would say to you, it is possible for you to miss. It is possible for you to sin. It is possible for you to fail and to be trying hard at the same time. That's what we learn with Zacharias. It happens to all of us. And I'm glad the Bible lets us see that. Zacharias failed. You say, how did he fail? This believer who was a priest, how did he fail? I'm glad that you asked. That's the thrust of the message. Had you not asked, we'd be at a dead point. Don't think that he's describing perfect people. In fact, when we arrive at verse 7, we read something very important in Luke 1. And I want you to notice this. Now, Luke has just told us these are believers who are sincere, genuine people who are before God living out their walk as blameless as they possibly can. And, and, and perhaps we would expect to read, and their life was really easy and they were incredibly blessed with abundance. But here's what we read in verse 7. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. Old Bible words sometimes paint a very vivid picture. Does well stricken in years sound good to anybody? No. You think of being struck, and you are well struck, well stricken, and you are old. I mean, Zacharias and Elizabeth were not quick movers. It took them a little while to get around in the morning. 
They probably had a few arguments. Some water's gone under the bridge. They are well stricken in years. Here's the Bible way of saying they are beyond the point where they can have children with any expectation. They are old people. And in the culture and society in which they lived, they would have been deemed sinful. You don't have God's blessing on your life because you are barren. Those two things were linked in the Old Testament thinking. You are barren because you are a sinner. In fact, when Elizabeth gives birth to John the Baptist, she will praise that her reproach has been lifted because in the society in which she lived, in the culture in which she walked and went about, she had to bear up under this reproach all of her life, even though, mind you, they were believers who were really genuine and sincere and seeking to live their life according to the mandate of God. Which brings me to this thought. We always look for positive reinforcement, that we are obeying God and look at these blessings. And I want you to grasp this. Sometimes negative reinforcement is as indicative of our obedience to God as is positive reinforcement. Sometimes doing right is met with challenge. And doing right and being obedient and living right is met with hardship. And it is not always indicative of the fact that you're a dirty, rotten scoundrel who's not doing the right thing. These are good people who bore up under the reproach of barrenness. And at this point in time, Luke is very intentional. He wants us to know these are some old people who no longer live with the expectation that they will be able to have children. And then we get to verse 8. I don't want to forgive Zacharias' failure in faith, but notice this in verse 8. And it came to pass, while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course. So now Zacharias is one of the priests. And according to the structure of the priest's calendar, it has fallen to him at this point in time to go into the temple. And he's going to go into the temple. We'll read this in verse 9. According to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So his job as a priest of the course of Abia at this moment in time is to go into the temple with the censer full of frankincense and it would be burning and the smoke would be going up and it was representative of the prayers of the nation of Israel going up to God. And so he's walking into the temple. Now, this is an incredible moment in time. He's walking into the temple. Right in front of him is the table of showbread. He's looking at it. He is seeing the candelabra, the golden candlestick. It's there. He sees the bread on the table. There is a 30-foot curtain partitioning off the Holy of Holies. He sees the cherubim and the seraphim, and the gold rim, they're, they're all in there. He's in this moment. He is carrying the censer. It is lit. It is burning. He is not wanting to drop it. This is a big time pressure moment. The pressure is amplified because we read in verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of the incense. They're all on the outside waiting for him to go in, and then he will come out customarily. Their prayers are going up to God. Now here's an old man, an ordinary everyday priest who's trying really hard to honor God. Married to a lady who's a believer who's trying really hard to be sincere and genuine and they've borne up under reproach. He's a common everyday priest who's walked in because the lot fell to him to carry the incense in and then something explosive happens. 
In verse 11, we read this. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. That's different. Anytime Gabriel shows up, things are different. I did an internship in the 90s at a church that had hundreds of thousands of square feet. May I say to you, there's something creepy about being in a church alone. I don't know what it is. It happens to me a lot. This church was incredibly large. It had three auditoriums, one from like the 60s and 70s and one from the 70s and 80s. And the newest one there had just recently been built in the 90s. And I was a 19-year-old doofus intern. So I was given a key that opened a door at the far end of the building and nothing else. You would not give a 19-year-old any other key than one door. As an intern, I had stuff that needed stored. We were allowed to store our stuff in the balcony of the second auditorium because no one ever went into the balcony of the second auditorium. It was a rainy night. It was dark outside, and I pulled under the covered drop-off. Can you imagine a building on a rainy day that had covered drop-off? Think about that. Pitch dark, I'm the only person there. I put my key into the door. I open it. I walk into a hallway that, no joke, is for hundred yards long with all these hallways off it and a massive auditorium and the lightning would flash in like stained glass windows and you're like like at this point in time I think spiritual warfare is real and I think it's happening right in here I'm not alone I had to walk all the way to the old auditorium when I got to the old auditorium I creaked up the steps and it sounded exactly like it should sound in a scary movie creaks and groans and snaps and cracks into the balcony. And I grabbed my first box and I snapped and cracked and creaked and groaned back down in the thunder and the lightning and the rain into a pitch dark hallway. And and you say, why didn't you turn lights on? I don't know. It's a better story with the lights out. And I walked down the hall. As I got down the hall, I let myself out. I loaded box one. I had two more trips to go. On the second trip, I jogged lightly. I'm 19 years old, I'm healthy, I'm thinking I can outrun anybody or anything that might be in this church. By the third trip, I was at a dead sprint, literally sprinting as fast as I could down the hall into there thinking, please get me out of this creepy building all by myself. And I will tell you this, if a janitor had stepped out of a hallway or a closet and said, hi, Chris, I would have died on the spot or I would have splattered him to the wall. Now think for just a minute. Zacharias is under intense pressure and overwhelming scrutiny. The whole multitude is outside of the temple. God has not spoken to anyone for 400 years He is carrying the censer with incense. It is smoking. He is walking in and he is taking in scenes that we have read about from the book of Exodus. And as he goes to place the censer there, Gabriel happens to be standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And in the greatest understatement in all of scripture, we read in verse 12, and when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. Ah, yeah, yeah. Anytime Gabriel shows up in scripture, people respond with fear. No one's like, oh, hey, Gabe. Everyone is in fear and awe. I don't think Gabriel looks like us. I don't think Gabriel talks like us. 
I don't think Gabriel glows like us. I think Gabriel's different. And when Zacharias is about to place the censer, hey, there's an angel standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and he begins to speak to him. And it's really good because the angel said unto him in verse 13, Fear not, Zacharias. Heaven always tells us to not be afraid. And yet we live dominated by fear and condemned to a sentence of being afraid and scared every day of our lives. Heaven's message is always be of good cheer. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Heaven's message is always don't be afraid. God's here. Don't be afraid. I'm here from God. Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. The silence has just been broken. And the 400 years of silence has just ended for a common everyday priest in the order and course of Abia who happened to have the lot fall to him to this year, this time, carry the incense in. And by the way, it was broken to a man who had been stricken in age and years and barren with his wife all their marriage. God's just awesome like that. Because the choir of angels sang to the shepherds when they told them about the birth of Jesus. And now here's Zacharias. And Zacharias was just told from the angel Gabriel, the Lord has heard your prayer. Now, I don't know this, but I wonder if Zacharias and Elizabeth had been praying for years and had stopped praying. Because after all, now we're well stricken in years. Perhaps it's at this moment in time, everybody on the outside of the temple is praying, and as Zacharias is carrying that censer into the temple, he's praying, and maybe he's praying, and Gabriel says to him specifically, thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Is that pretty explicit direction from Gabriel? Elizabeth, you know my wife? Oh yes, we know everybody. She's going to have a child. And by the way, Zacharias, you may want to make a note of this. His name is to be John. Now, the next thing that Zacharias does confounds me, but it also puts him right in my corner. Because here's what we read in verse 18. And Zacharias said unto the angel, whereby shall I know this? How are you going to prove to me that she's going to have a son? I need a sign. Now, just stop because we're standing in the temple talking face to face with Gabriel. And he says, hey, I just need a sign that that this is a real thing from God. And Gabriel literally says, I love it, because Gabriel, I don't know if they have, I don't understand everything about heaven, the Bible, or angels. I don't know if their personalities shine through. But when he says, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is well stricken in years. The angel answered and said unto him, uh... I am Gabriel. Uh, Zacharias, have you talked to a lot of angels? Or is this the first one? I need a sign. Uh, I'm Gabriel. My most recent business meeting in heaven was with Yahweh God Almighty. That was a moment ago because we travel like that. I stand in the presence of the Lord and I just told you this is going to happen. You need more of a sign than that. Well, you got to understand, I'm old, and my wife's old. I don't believe this is going to happen. 
I, I don't know what I'm seeing, to be quite honest with you. I didn't light the incense. I don't know what they put in here. I could be breathing stuff in. I don't know what I'm seeing. I don't believe you. He fails in faith. You say, well, you're being so harsh on him. He's, he's just met an angel. He's just been told he's going to have a child, and he doesn't believe it. All of us would be like that, perhaps. But Gabriel lets us in on the fact that he failed in faith because this is what we read. And behold, verse 20, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. Zacharias, you who are a believer, you who really are sincere and genuine in your walk, you fell flat on your face and failed in faith. Now, some people might say, now hold on a second, pastor. Don't you realize that when the angel Gabriel goes to Mary and he says to Mary, Mary, you're going to have a baby, that Mary responds and says, how shall this be? She's not saying, I don't believe you. Mary is literally saying to the angel, I don't understand how this is going to happen because I am a virgin. I don't know a man. So I don't understand the process of this happening. Zacharias is looking at Gabriel in the face and saying, I hear you, I don't believe this. And so Gabriel says, then you will not speak until all of this comes to pass and it will come to pass. And for nine months, for nine months, he cannot speak. Now, it's taken him a little longer in the temple. After all, he's had a meeting with Gabriel. I think that's a good excuse. If I'm ever in my office and you have to come get me, like we did Trent, to preach, and I come in and say, forgive me, I was just meeting with Gabriel the angel, what I would suggest is go get in your car and go to another church. <laughs> but when he came out and they said, hey man, we've all been praying and this prayer went long. My husband fell asleep twice. What have you been doing in there? The Bible tells us this in Luke 1, And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. Yeah, how? Because he beckoned to them with his hands and remained speechless. Now, the Bible will use that phrase. He beckoned unto them with his hands. What does that mean? Well, when we were in the upper room with Jesus, John is laying near Jesus. And the Bible tells us that Peter beckons to John with his hand. He wants John to ask Jesus who the betrayer is. And so he uses his hand. He beckons to him. He uses hand motions, ask Jesus who the betrayer is. And Jesus then whispers to John, the beloved, it is he who I dip sop with. And he then dips and hands to Judas. So I think had it got back to Peter, Peter would have attacked Judas in the upper room. And I, I mean that sincerely. I think Peter would have fought. We see it in the garden. That's a whole different message, but we like to study the Bible, and that's what that is. Paul will use beckoning of the hands to silence people. He's going to share the gospel, and a mob of people are there. He beckons with his hand. He silences them with his hand. So as Zacharias comes out of the temple, the people that are gathered perceived that he has seen a vision. Though he cannot speak, he is beckoning to them with his hands. He is miming to them I saw an angel. I don't know what that looks like, but you can imagine. I don't know if he went like this. I don't know what angels look like. I don't know if he did this. There was an angel. I don't know if he did this. I don't know what he did. But I know this. The people that were out there perceived that he had seen something. 
They knew that he had seen a vision, but he could not tell them what it was. The Bible simply ends that phrase by saying to us that it came to pass, as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. He gets to the place where Elizabeth is. Now, you have to to live in the Bible because these are people like us. He walks into his house. He's been gone serving at the temple. He makes it home. He cannot speak, and he begins to tell Elizabeth, Hey, I saw an angel. You are going to have a baby. Now, I I mean, just get in the house with them. Do you think Elizabeth is thinking, get back out of here. Uh, Get me a tablet. You are going to have a baby. No way. And then the Bible just tells us this. She conceives and she's hidden away for five months. For five months she is hidden away. And then we get to combine the Bible stories of the birth of Jesus and the birth of John the Baptist because we read that the angel is now speaking to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and here's the news that is broken. It comes in verse 36. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth She hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for with God nothing shall be impossible. The entire crux of this chapter is God can do anything, God will always follow through, it's our faith that falters. And in order to reinforce the faith of Mary, who is struggling to wrap her brain about this, the angel says, if you really want to infuse your faith with some strength, your cousin Elizabeth, who is old And barren, she's now six months pregnant. And we know that Mary goes. And we know that as Mary walks into the presence of Elizabeth, John the Baptist begins his prophetic ministry inside the womb as he leaps about. This is exceptional. The silence from heaven has ended. And Zacharias cannot speak. Now here's what I really just want to say to you as simply as I can. Zacharias was a good man. He was not fake. He was not surface. He was not a phony He was genuine and he was sincere, living out his walk every day of his life, trying to live out according to the mandate of God. And when faced with a moment where he could have exercised faith, he fell flat on his face. He failed. How do you bounce back when you fall flat on your face and fail in faith? It is incredibly simple. The Bible simply tells us this in verse 57 of Luke 1. Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered. And she brought forth a son, and her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass, and this was customary at their time, that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child who was yet not named, and they, the group, called him Zacharias after the name of his father. This just makes sense. This is how it worked. It just makes sense. His name is going to be Zacharias. She pipes up in verse 60. And his mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. Now the people are bewildered, and they said unto her, There's none of thy kindred that is called by this name. This doesn't make sense, Elizabeth. 
His name will be Zacharias. Sorry, Mr. Priest, just put Zacharias on the paper. Not so. His name shall be called John. And it's like they perceive she's doing this without Zacharias. She hasn't checked with Zacharias. Somebody go get Zacharias. They go and they get Zacharias. Zacharias is now handed a tablet. Now, now here's the moment in time where we learn the invaluable lesson on how to bounce back when we have failed in faith. He's handed a tablet and they say, just write down, Zacharias is his name. And he writes so simply this. He asked for a writing table and he wrote saying, his name is John. And they marveled all. And then the Bible will tell us that his mouth was opened immediately and his tongue was loosed and he spaked and he praised God and fear came on all that dwelt round about them and all these sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea and they were asking, what kind of kid is this going to be? Because he will now articulate the prophetic message that Gabriel had given to him in the temple. And here is the message boiled down to its simplest core. When you and I, who are good, try-hard people, living our lives as best we can in accordance with God's word, it is possible for us to still fall flat on our face and fail in faith. Be nicer to yourself than you are. You're just like everybody else. You're not an extra failure because you didn't make it. You're just like all the rest of us, even people like John and Elizabeth and Zacharias and Mary and Joseph and David and Paul and Peter and on down the line. I would say to you that in that moment where you fall flat on your face and you are gifted another opportunity as Zacharias was. Zacharias, now after nine months of silence, after seeing John born miraculously, is handed a tablet and he has the opportunity now to either follow through and obey what God has said or say, I do like the name Zacharias. It does have a ring. I've waited a long time for this. I do want a namesake. He simply writes in big, bold letters, his name is John. I'm not going to whiff on this pitch. I'm not going to miss this time. I'm not going to be faithless anymore. And in fact, with fervency and urgency, he begins to sing a song. I don't think he was a great singer. In fact, I believe that the majority of this chapter is him chanting like a priest would have chanted. And he chants out the prophecy of the coming Messiah. And he chants out the prophecy of the ministry of John the Baptist. And he chants out the message of salvation. As Malachi had promised, the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. He is the messenger. He, the faithless one, is the one that gets to tell the masses for the first time what we have been waiting for for 400 years, what we have been waiting for for eons of our history. That moment is now. This little boy is the, is the precursor for the Messiah who will be born shortly. He is going to be the one that makes straight the way. This little boy here indicates Jesus didn't lie. God told the truth. It is here. John is indicative of the blessing of God and Zacharias gets to tell the message. I would say simply to you, when you fall flat on your face and God gives you with another opportunity, this time do right. This time obey. With urgency and humility and fervency, do right and John makes it. The Bible tells us that John the Baptist is the greatest man born of woman. Now whenever the Bible says that, 
That's not hyperbolic speech. That's fact. We would do well to study John the Baptist. We always make him like a circus sideshow freak. He dressed in animal skins. He ate locusts and wild honey. He preached like a wild man. He got after. He was beheaded. We know all of this. Listen, he's the greatest man born. He was the precursor to the Messiah. He himself said, he must increase and I must decrease. His life was not long. I don't know if Zacharias was let in on all of the prophecy, but John the Baptist doesn't live long. He's beheaded. At about the onset of the public ministry of Jesus Christ, they weren't born that far apart. John didn't get to live well into his 30s. You say, well, what a waste. God works this whole scenario out and puts John the Baptist here only to use him to be a precursor. We can't understand what God does, but I do understand this. Zacharias was a good believer who was trying hard and he fell flat on his face. And when he was given another opportunity to do the right thing, he did it. And I want to just simply close by pointing out what what stands out to me in verse 76 of Luke 1. He's chanting out this prophecy. And in verse 76, he turns to this little baby and he chants out, And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Which communicates to me, Zacharias now so fervently believed the truth that he began from the earliest of days to look at that little baby and say, here's your job, here's what you will be, here's what you will do, and it worked out. It turned out. That is what John was. John, this is your calling. John, this was the prophecy. This is the exact same thing that the Apostle Paul will do to Timothy. When Timothy comes up against tough people in the church at Ephesus who are attacking him and sniping him and he wants to quit and he feels it down in his belly, Paul says, don't forget the prophecy when we laid hands on you. This is your calling. Don't run from it. This is what you have been called to endure. These people will always be here. Press on. This is what God has given you to do. That's what Zacharias was doing for John. He so believed that he simply obeyed. Can I say this to you? You may have faltered last year. You may look at your life over the last year and think, I fell flat on my face. I'm a dirty, rotten scoundrel. You're just like the rest of us. You can be a believer who's trying hard to honor God and still fall. What do you do when given the next opportunity? Obey. Do right. If you fall again when given the next opportunity, obey and do right. If you will obey, live humbly with some urgency and fervency, you can bounce back. You say, so that's 2022, right. It's the second day of 2022. You've already nailed it. You have not missed church the entire year. Yet. I'll check with you Thursday morning. You're doing it. Inevitably, you're going to wreck it. Isn't that encouraging to know? Uh, Me too. And you know what we'll have to do? Get up the next morning and do right. And inevitably, you aren't the worst person on earth, and you're not a dirty, rotten scoundrel who can't do anything. You're going to try hard, and you're going to fall flat on your face. And then you get up, and you humbly obey and live your life with urgency and fervency and carry out what you've been given to do because God has you here on purpose. Bounce back. You have the opportunity now to do the right thing. Would you please bow your heads and close your eyes for a simple moment?
Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.